The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this Between Generations discussion, Anne from Bikini Podcast drops by to analyze the music of Super Smash Bros. for the N64 and Melee for the GameCube. While these early entries don't have the sheer volume of content featured in later iterations, there's still plenty to cover, even if we did have to include a wishlist song. As usual, we discuss the games themselves after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PP Podcast. And in between the second and third generation of our Pokemon side game music discussions, we decided we'd do a little bit of a special episode as we often do. And this time we're going to be talking about the music of Super Smash Brothers for the N64 and Super Smash Brothers Melee for the GameCube. We more or less decided to combine those into a single discussion because the first Smash Brothers especially is kind of thin on material. It has, uh, it just doesn't have the, the breadth that you see starting with Melee and beyond, especially with the more recent ones where they have tons of more fighters and stuff like that. But like I said, today we're going to be talking about the music of both games. So Smash Brothers, if you've somehow missed this series, I'm not sure exactly how, but it's a series that started on the N64 and was released back in 99. And it sort of answers that playground fight, uh, who would win if they fought each other between Nintendo characters. And uh, the rest is kind of history. There's actually a pretty good uh, background for really both of these games, and especially the first one. Uh, we're not going to go super in deep into that just because of the amount of time it would take. But I strongly suggest if you're really interested in the history of the Smash Brothers series, you take a look at that. As far as the first game in the series, the, the N64, that was released in January of 1999 in Japan, April of 1999 in the U.S., and uh, as was common, it took a while to get to Europe. It was November of 1999 there. Then a couple years later, very near the launch of the GameCube, we got Melee. So in Japan, that was released in November of 2001, a couple months after it had come out, I believe in September, uh, the system had in Japan. In the U.S., it was December of 2001, just really like a week or two after the system came out in the U.S. And then Europe, uh, the GameCube, I believe, launched in 2002 there, and this game, Melee, came out in May of 2002. So Anne and I are both old enough to remember when these games originally came out. And um, just going into sort of our impressions, Super Smash Brothers, I, I definitely, I had internet access back then, back in uh, late 98 into early 99. And I, I heard about it coming and I really liked the concept there. And uh, in terms of like any marketing for it, I definitely remember uh, we talked about it before the uh, the ad for North America used the song "Happy Together" by the Turtles, which would show up in the Pokemon universe again. And what was sort of your first impressions when you heard about Super Smash Brothers for the N sixty four? I honestly don't remember a ton about the marketing. I do remember all my friends at school talking about it, and then like. 
playing it at a friend's house and like just being enraptured. So I don't remember a lot of the lead up to the first one, but I definitely remember like all the hype that was generated by word of mouth. Like just once someone played this game, they had nothing but good to say about it. And so it kind of spread that way through my circles. Yeah, and you know, I got to play it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I picked up a copy not long after launch. I forget exactly when, if it was launch day or, or not long after, but definitely got into it. It was sort of a a very different type of fighting game that focused on, of course, you know, knocking your opponent not out of stamina, but out of the arena to score points and move on to the next stage. And Using the Nintendo characters, you know, in hindsight, it might seem pretty obvious, but I do know that Hal, who developed this game, you know, originally had sort of generic characters and sort of went a little bit behind Nintendo's back to use the, the their characters. Uh, you know, obviously they include their own Kirby and stuff like that, but I just remember really enjoying it and, and uh, playing it quite a bit when it came out. What about Melee, Anne? As I understand, somehow you've managed to avoid playing that entry? I mean... I mean, I didn't realize I was missing so much out of my life. Um, but yeah, no, I've played a, like almost every iteration of Super Smash, but not Melee, just because I never owned a GameCube. And I didn't realize that it was a different experience on that particular one console um, that would be worth worth picking it up for. Um, but from just listening to this music, it is definitely a different, different beast. Yeah. You had mentioned you'd played the original, you'd played Brawl on the Wii and yet mm-hmm. somehow you had managed to miss, you know, it, it had, it was the newest entry in the series for like six or seven years until Brawl came out because it was such an early GameCube game, as we mentioned. And I, I know they were, you were hyping it up somewhat. Uh, I remember they released some like scramble screenshots of some of the hidden stages in the game and whatnot prior to launch, which was uh, kind of interesting. It was kind of not a whole lot compared to what they did for Brawl and Onward as far as uh, pre-promotion from Nintendo itself. Um, But, you know, it has been a big deal. And and in fact, I believe it's actually the highest selling GameCube game. Um, And and Yeah, yeah. Well, the GameCube was kind of a bit of an odd system. Uh, Until the Wii U, assuming (laughs) you don't count the Virtual Boy, it was Nintendo's lowest selling system. And so this was the one that gave it, made it at least close to the uh, Xbox in terms of sales, although they both got lapped repeatedly by the uh, PlayStation 2 in that generation. But yeah, this is, as far as I remember, I believe it's the highest selling game on the GameCube. So it it was a very big deal, uh, especially that first holiday season, but it had a kind of a slow burn through the rest of the, the console generation. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, development then of of these games. Uh, the first two Smash Bros. games were both developed internally by HAL. As we mentioned, the first one was done sort of as a, a generic fighting tech demo at one point, and then they sort of went through to use Nintendo characters sort of at first without permission, but then eventually with permission, <laughs> which is a, a really fun story. You should look into more detail. I, I do kind of wonder, um, as far as the Pokemon characters go, you know, if Hal wasn't so involved with some of the other N64 era Pokemon side games like Stadium and Snap, and you know, they even had some involvement with Pinball through their their Kirby's Pinball Land engine and whatnot. I do wonder if this had been thought up by another Nintendo second party or subsidiary or whatever, if they would have even thought 
to put the, the new kid on the block Pokemon in there. And I, I do wonder if this series was just getting started now, if they would uh, do that. Because I, I often lament that Pokemon doesn't always get put in stuff. But this case, it did. Uh, Melee in particular has an interesting development story because it was pretty rushed. Uh, mm -hmm. They had to get it out early into the GameCube cycle. Um, and they had to sort of cut some corners here and there. Uh, like some of the game mechanics that uh, made it into the final game were really just they didn't have enough time to refine them, and yet they've sort of become series staples and things like that. Um, now, of course, after Melee, I forget Brawl, who exactly developed. Like I know Sakurai uh, has been involved with all five uh, generations of this game, but and eventually, starting with uh, 3DS and Wii U, it moved to Bandai Namco as the primary developer. But these two first ones were definitely made by Hal, which is another reason that you know characters like Kirby are so prominent, and, and of course they're going to put their own flagship uh, character in there. But uh, let's talk about who actually worked on the sound. So let's see, we have one person for the N64 game, and that is Hirokazu Ando. And uh, I looked up some of his credits. Uh, let's see, he worked on Arcana for the Super Nintendo. Uh, a lot of stuff in the Kirby series, including some... There was a game in 2019, I forget exactly what it was called. And also the sort of uh, smallish game, uh, Box Boys, another one he's worked on. Uh, and did you have anything about uh, Hirokazu Ando to share that you found? Um, Nothing super specific. It is a name that's familiar with... I, Well, kind of familiar-ish through some of, I think, other... Pokemon related things, but uh, unfortunately, just not a super ton about him that's interesting besides his, you know, credits list. Yeah, he does have a, a fairly long record. Like I said, it goes back to at least the early 90s. Um, mm -hmm. As far as uh, Melee, now there it gets a lot more interesting. First of all, they have three people who are listed as uh, musical arrangement and composition. We have Hirokazu Ando again, uh, Shogo Sakai. Uh, who is credited with like stuff like the NES version of Rampage. Let's see, uh, Mother 3, which was basically would have been Earthbound 2, I suppose, had it gotten localized. That's a whole thing unto itself. Um, and he's also worked on a ton of other Kirby games. And then uh, Tadashi Ikigami um, worked on Melee as well. Um, and he's credited with Wario's Woods. I'm not sure if that's the NES version, the Super Nintendo version, or both of that. Uh, the NES version of Wario's Woods is quite notable for being like the last official NES game in 1994. Um, and of course, as you would expect for someone who is in the close orbit of hell, he's worked on a ton of Kirby stuff, especially since uh, this game here. And did you have anything to say about uh, those other two guys? Yes, uh, and yeah, Shogo Sakai is kind of one who stood out to me because it seems like his, like, I don't want to diminish his composing abilities because I'm sure they're, they're, they are quite great. It's just, he seems to have a real talent for arranging, and that seems to be a lot of the jobs he gets brought on for. And, like, just looking through, like, his credits, he has, like, a lot of concerts and, like, orchestral arrangements of stuff. So I find that very interesting. Um and for a game like this, where a lot of these themes are kind of all, and these characters are already in existence, it seems like that's the perfect guy you'd want to bring in is somebody who knew how to arrange a theme for a slightly different setting, but make it 
pop and make it unique and make it its own. Yeah, we we had mentioned sort of in our last discussion on Stadium 2 that uh, we felt that having a single composer for that game kind of limited things, uh, especially given kind of the scope of the music of that one. And I think uh, when we draw comparisons between Smash 64 and Melee, that they're uh, having additional folks on there, uh, including some live performers that we haven't really talked about yet. Um really sort of broadens that. It's not the incredible uh, depth that music in the more recent Smash Brothers games has, um, but uh, Melee is definitely a step up there. Okay, let's try to talk about then the overall style of both games. Now, Smash Brothers for the N64 being a cartridge game is going to be a bit more limited. The phrase I sort of decide on is that a lot of the stuff in the N64 game has a very much a, a brass band um, some synth strings, some keyboard instruments. There's also some like ambient stuff for some of the menus. Notably, the the main menu is has that very open sound in there. And there's also some electronic stuff. And was that sort of the vibe you got from the N64 games soundtrack? Yeah, actually, there's like a couple in my notes where I'm comparing between um, that theme and its same ish iteration in melee and i'm like yeah the brassy is how i would describe um this sound so i find that interesting that we're on the same wavelength there it definitely yeah just has overall through all the tracks even the ones that you would think would sound a little different it has just a very big bold almost high school marching bandy type sound to it which in a way, is kind of the limitation of the cartridge, maybe, but also like kind of fits that the vibe you're going for. I think we talked a bit about it during um, Pokemon Stadium, where you kind of that feeling of being at a tournament in a live setting where there's a, a synth organ playing and you know some live marching band somewhere else, and it kind of just has that big sound to it because you're here for an event. That's definitely the vibe I get off of um, 64. Uh, the the music in Melee, a little bit of a different vibe sometimes, but... Yeah, before we talk about sort of the overall style of Melee, uh, if you can, you know, sort of narrow it down that way, I did want to mention that if you want a soundtrack of the original Smash Brothers, uh, if you, I guess, look online, you can find one that was released in Japan. It's got... The music from the game, it's got a couple remixes. I'm not sure how much, how great I feel about some of the remixes in there. Uh, they like took the Yoshi's Island stage theme from that game and put a lot of Yoshi sound effects on top of it, which is, I guess, kind of funny. But also, as much as I love uh, Kazumi Totaka's Yoshi voice, <laughs> a little bit odd there. But uh, moving on to the Melee soundtrack. Now, that, of course, was a disc game on the GameCube. GameCube used what are effectively uh, the smaller size of DVDs that have about a, a gig and a half of space, which sounds like a lot. Um, and I guess in the audio department, it, it, it more or less is. Not so much in the uh, video department. Um, but definitely a wider variety there. You can sort of divide things into maybe a couple buckets. First off, for some of the tracks, they have a live orchestra, uh, which is pretty neat. You can see them in the in the credits there. You have to the credit sequence in the Smash Bros. game is kind of always notable for being semi-interactive, um, and this is no exception. But they do list some of the names there. Um, but there's also other stuff. There's a lot of electronic stuff. There's a, there's some synthy orchestra type stuff as well. Uh, some live guitar, and uh, and things of that nature. 
And uh, just sort of broadly speaking, what did you th- what did you have to say about the music of Super Smash Brothers Melee? Um, kind of like that same energy, but a lot more varied and a lot more nuanced. Um, definitely, you, there's a lot more variety of instruments to use. You, like you just listed it off some of them, and that kind of allows for a slightly different variety of mood. And that especially shows on tracks that are maybe not. I feel like certain games um, have uh, theme music that goes for a certain energy, and it it kind of can translate a little bit across, um, like, say, uh, the Donkey Kong level and the Pokemon level. Like, you're kind of going for a particular theme, and even though those tracks are very different, they can have a similar sound, whereas some other games have a very different sound associated with them, and like hearing that kind of pigeonholed into that same big brassy sound was a little surprising, not necessarily bad, but I think Melee gives them a little bit more room to show their own musical style without necessarily clashing with the rest of the soundtrack. If that word vomit made sense. Well, I do think that Melee, its its diversity would be shades of things to come. Once you get to Brawl and the later ones, they really start... Um, expanding. And I think some of that is sort of the, you know, I think a lot of folks felt it was an honor to have their music featured uh, in a game like this. And I certainly think that's that's become more common as time has gone on. Um, I did want to mention, I don't believe that there's an official soundtrack release for the game itself. However, sometime after its release, there was a concert in Japan. I forget if it was called the, the New Japan Philharmonic Orchestra or something like that. Game music concerts in Japan have been more common than they have been in the West. They started um, maybe as early as the 80s, but definitely starting in the 90s and stuff like that. Um, and they had a bunch of music from this game that they that they recorded, and that concert was recorded and put on a CD. And how you get that CD is a little different depending on what territory. Like, uh, I know here in North America, it was bundled in with an issue of Nintendo Power in, like, late 2002, early 2003. Um, and that's where I have my copy from. There's also, uh, in Japan, I forget if they gave it with a magazine there or something else. And then in Europe, I think there were some places where they actually sold it. Um, it's not going to be super cheap. It's not hyper expensive. I haven't checked the price recently, to be honest. So maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but it is out there and it's certainly uh, an alternative if you want to have like an official copy of some of the music from Melee. But yeah, so Melee a little little harder to uh, sort of categorize its music, and uh, as we mentioned, when you get to the later ends of the series, especially difficult there. But somehow they kind of make it work with despite the wide variety of music. All right, so if you've seen these discussions before, uh, you know that Anne and I, what we usually do is we usually pick out a few songs. So this time we did each pick out three songs. Uh, however, we sort of categorized them into three buckets. We each picked one song. Uh, from those buckets, but basically we each picked a song that is a Pokemon song from one of these games. We picked a non-Pokemon song from one of these games because, you know, even even with Melee and uh, the original Smash Bros. together, you only got like four Pokemon songs, not counting like the, the victory fanfare. 
And then we also picked what we called an ineligible song. So this is a song that's not derived from uh, game music. Now, we purposely disallowed at least some of the opening themes because we felt those uh, from the anime because we felt those were a little too obvious. Although Anne did kind of skirt the rules a little bit with hers, but I was okay with that. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what we've got. Uh, so... Uh, Anne picked, let's see, the Saffron City theme from the N64 game, which is based on the, the Pokemon game theme. I picked the Pokemon game theme from the Pokemon Stadium stage in Melee as my Pokemon song. Anne picked Congo Jungle from the N64 version as her non-Pokemon song. I picked as my non-Pokemon song the uh, Hyrule Temple theme that's the one that's based on the dungeon theme from Zelda 2. And then for our ineligible song, what we picked, uh, Anne picked Always Pokemon from the Italian dub of the anime, and I picked Lullaby, uh, the Manda slash Willa Ford song uh, from the Pokemon the First Movie soundtrack. We did try to keep our um, our ineligible song, something that would have been available by the time Melee came out. And uh, we sort of decided that for each of these phases, you would go first. Hey, you get to talk about Saffron City, the, the Pokemon theme version from Super Smash Bros. for N64. Uh, what, made, what made you pick this one? Well, I had like looked at some of the options from Melee, such as Poke Floats, which was kind of trippy. But, you know, then I just clicked on that old Saffron City stage and heard the Pokemon main theme. And it's just so iconic for people who have played this game, I can picture in my mind the sound effects of the characters I played going off as I listened to the track. So I feel like in that sense, I almost had to pick it. You know, as I wrote in my notes, kind of it has a very brassy sound, this version of the Pokemon main theme, as opposed to kind of the cinematic sound I often hear in the anime series or or chiptune that I sometimes hear in other games. But it just has such a grandiose sense of like, we're going to battle now that I think really fits this game. Um, and really it's a very recognizable Pokemon theme that reading in the comments on various websites about music from this game, a lot of people like hear it and are like, Oh gosh, yes, that's my childhood playing smash brothers as Pikachu on this stage. I, I feel like it's something that everybody hears it and they instantly know what it is and it stays with them. So it kind of had to get a mention. Yeah, it, it's definitely a horn-based arrangement that you hear from, especially a lot of the game themes as they're done in the, the N64 Smash Brothers. I guess we should talk a little bit about sort of the structure of the stage. It's Saffron City, uh, but you're, what you are is you're uh, on top of a bunch of skyscrapers. One of them is very clearly the Sylph building, and I think it says that right on it. Um, there's like a gotta catch them all banner in the background and stuff like that. And I, I think like if you wait forever, you'll see some of the legendary birds. If you wait like half an hour or an hour to see them go by, <laughs> they they were that detailed on there. Uh, the poor person at Hal who had to test that. Um, <laughs> do you think it works for, for how the stage is structured where you're up above like on the rooftops and stuff like that? Do you think there's anything in, in the song and the way it's arranged that makes it work particularly for that? Um, it's hard to say because part of me would have liked, you know, with this big, you know, so monumental arrangement, like something like an arena or a stadium. But when you think about how in in the games and in the anime, Pokemon battles can break out anywhere. There is something about 
this just big lofty song as you're battling on top of a skyscraper that does work i think and it's it feels like a city vibe this definitely wouldn't have fit if it were like a field or a forest so i think definitely choosing saffron city as opposed to like pallet town or route one or anything was a a definite choice and i do think it works it's it's kind of a thing that I don't know that it's necessarily the best solution, but I wasn't in that, you know, meeting when they when they workshopped all their ideas. I definitely think the end result, though, does work. Yeah, I guess if you have to pick one location, it's, it's probably going to be that or maybe they've done stages in the more recent Smash Bros. games based on like the, the league uh, arenas and stuff like that, and as well as a bunch of other significant locations from Pokemon. So I, I think as far as a pairing goes, you're probably right that you're going to pick something in one of the major cities if you're going to do this one here. All right, well, let's go to the one I picked. It is compositionally quite similar. It is, of course, the Pokemon game theme, uh, but this time it's from Melee, and it's, the I guess, the primary theme used on the Pokemon Stadium stage. You know, to be honest, I, I think... Arrangement-wise, it, it seems pretty close to some of the stuff. It uses a live orchestra, which is really nice. And it's it's pretty close to some of the stuff we've heard in, like, uh, the anime, especially in, like, episode one. To be quite honest and to reveal my emotions a little bit, when I first played this game, I got it for Christmas, uh, got mainly for Christmas in 2001. I got it on a GameCube on launch day, and this was one of my Christmas ones. You know, I teared up uh, listening to stuff like the intro and uh, this one on the the Pokemon Stadium stage. Part of what really gets me that goes a bit above and beyond stuff that we've heard in the anime is having the the sort of the choir backing. I'm not sure if that's stock stuff or if they actually got a choir or something like that, but the, the yeah, you know that stuff, and that just adds a little bit of an edge, and um, I think uh, just made it a little bit more interesting for me. This particular stage has shown up a number of times in later Smash Brothers series. Uh, it's like every stage, pretty much, it's an ultimate. Uh, but I swear it must have come into, I think it came into Brawl and maybe one or two entries besides that. But as far as the song, and what are your kind of thoughts? Um, I definitely feel like it it just sounded richer in this iteration like i think the live orchestra you mentioned probably had a lot to do with that like it just cinematic is the word i would use like it just feels very like if there were a movie about super smash brothers or something like this is the track they would use like it, it feels like it's going for a very um Big vibe, but in a different way than um, the N64 one was. Uh, uh, something that can pull at your heartstrings a little more. Something that can hit a few different levels of emotion. And like the choir in the background certainly adds a bit to that as well. Yeah, as far as being based on any previous arrangement, I looked in the credits. I didn't see um, Shinji Miyazaki, who had done most of the game arrangements for the anime, uh, listed there. They did, of course, I'm pretty sure list um, Junichi Masuda as one of the original game staff. They definitely listed Satoshi Jiri. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was impactful. And, and so are to, a, I think, a lesser extent, although I think they're both good songs. There's like two other Pokemon ones, not counting the little victory fanfare when you beat a multiplayer match as one of the Pokemon characters. But sort of contrasting this to the N64 one, it's definitely, you know, you see the advantage 
the things you can do with a disk-based system that you couldn't do on an N64 cartridge. So definitely kind of shows there. All right, well, let's talk about our non-Pokemon songs that we picked. I think looks like the first one you picked, Anne, was the Congo Jungle from the N64 Smash Brothers. Uh, <laughs> we, we've heard some version of this song in pretty much and at least one version of the song in pretty much every Smash Brothers game. But uh, what, what kind of made you pick this one? Um, I like its variety. Like it starts with that drum intro um, with like, you know, the bass being on point and it gets you so hyped and it's really going for that stereotypical jungle drum feel. And then like about 45 to 50 seconds in, it starts getting jazzy. And then like, again, the trumpets and the brass band is blowing. And I feel like we're in New Orleans, like the Jungle Cruise took a swing through the bayou or something. And then it even allows itself to get eerie at places. So it's just a fun track that um, on its loop hits a lot of different emotional notes and definitely uh, stands out as unique against uh, some of its other lineup, like the you know, the Star Fox and the Metroid, it, Donkey Kong has its own sound, and uh, they took full advantage of it on this track. Yeah, the the track itself, in terms of its structure and instrumentation, is very close to the uh, jungle hijinks uh, sound in uh, Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. It's sort of a slightly upgraded version of that. Um, and, and you're right, it does have a fairly long intro, uh, kind of a small-ish uh, melodic portion in the middle and then sort of the dee 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 and sort of <laughs> goes into the slow drum beat uh, towards the end and then of course it loops back so I'm glad you liked it I, I did uh, sort of compare this this stage uh, the Donkey Kong stage uh, is one of the few I guess that has come back multiple times uh, it was brought back in Melee as an unlockable stage and it was also of course brought back in Smash Bros. Ultimate which has pretty much all the stages from the previous entries in the series and why that's kind of significant, I noticed it seems in the Ultimate version, the version on the Switch that came out a year or two ago, it seems like that one has actually had some of the intro edited. It takes a while for this song to get going to the more recognizable It takes uh, less time in the Ultimate version. It's about 20 seconds shorter in that intro. I don't know if you noticed that at all, but do you have any thoughts on them doing that? I did, yeah. And um, both I and a lot of uh, people I found online um, all kind of lament that. They're, they wish they had kept the longer intro. Um, again, like, it's not the real melodic, I you know, catchy part of the song, but I would say it's just as iconic. And it definitely, again, just adds an extra layer to something that you are going to hear for a while, uh, depending on how long your battle goes. Yeah, that's, that's another interesting thing structurally about the music in this game. A lot of the, like, even in verses, I think the default is, like, two minutes. Obviously longer in tournament play because you use, like, five or seven stock or whatever, and it goes through there. But, yeah, the la the in longer intro is something I noticed a couple weeks ago when I was playing the N64 version, which um, neither of these games is super easy to get at uh, a copy of. The N64 was on the original Wii Virtual Console, but never made it to the Wii U. Uh, discs of Melee are notoriously expensive on the used market. They're not super expensive, but they're definitely not cheap. Mm -hmm. Making my way any way that I can has a longer history than you might be aware of. It doesn't go super far back, but the earliest version I found is by Winona Judd 
on the soundtrack to the 1996 Whoopi Goldberg business comedy, The Associate. The song would then show up on a Marsha Hines album in 1999, which was soon followed by the Billy Piper version you're probably familiar with. Each of these features a different arrangement, but the more electronic instrumentation in Piper's rendition is probably what made it the choice for the Pokemon soundtrack. As for the lyrical content of the song, the theme of strength overcoming adversity results in an experience that I think would have fit in very well on To Be A Master. What's most interesting, however, is the way phrases that were originally intended as metaphors become literal when applied to Pokemon. The source material is a game in which you cross rivers and climb mountains. If you really want to stretch it, there's also reference to strength. Not bad for a song that was probably written before the games were even out in Japan. In any event, feel free to check out those other versions, there's at least one more that I didn't mention, and let us know what you think. Thanks. Okay, well, I think that's about what we've got to say about the Congo Jungle track. Trying to go relatively quickly here, but uh, the next one I picked as my non-Pokemon song was the uh, Hyrule Temple theme, or more specifically, it's a version of the dungeon theme from Zelda to The Adventure of Link. Now, I wanted to point this out for a couple reasons. First of all, even by the early 2000s when Melee came out, Zelda 2 had its sort of current reputation of being kind of the odd one out of the Nintendo Zelda games. Uh, you know, obviously, there's also like the CDI stuff, and the first two of those are kind of like the, the Zelda 2 as well. But uh, Zelda 2 had its, had its reputation built up by then as well. So it was kind of interesting to hear a song from that in this game. And it's used as one of the songs on the Hyrule Temple stage, that really big stage in Melee. And it's also used in the adventure mode when you're going through a dungeon trying to find the Triforce. And uh, sort of my observations about the track, first of all, it uses uh, it, it is synth-based, I'm pretty sure. There's, there might be some live instruments in there, but they didn't use the, the full live orchestra like they did for the main Zelda theme that plays in the, uh, the Majora's Mask stage in Melee. But in any case, uh, it has a harpsichord, which I think is a little more menacing, is the best word I could come up with, than a piano would have been. I think they might have picked it because it is a little bit faster than the and more action-oriented than the Zelda 1 dungeon theme. You know, the melody is actually there. It's kind of in the bass line. They have used versions of that in later Smash Brothers games, but I don't know. I, those were just sort of some random thoughts I had about why this track uh, might have been brought in here. Or maybe this the person who worked on it really liked Zelda 2 and felt it was underappreciated. Anne, any thoughts on any of that? Um, uh, Zelda has such good music. Um, I really love the intro to this song and the wind effects. Like, it's something really unique to this game and its mood. Um, this is kind of one of the ones I was talking about where I felt like some songs didn't fit that big brassy sound as well. Um, Zelda, like this temple theme, is one of them. And I think that might be partly why this particular track got chosen because it is a bit more upbeat and doesn't have the same like eerie but oddly soothing vibe I get from a lot of other Zelda music. Like this could be potentially used for a battle with a similar sound to Pokemon and Donkey Kong and Metroid. So I think there was definitely a, a reason this song was picked for fitting the overall soundtrack. I definitely felt a little jarred as we went from the intro into the main part of the song, though, because that's those are not sounds that I usually associate with Zelda. 
But again, I feel like as far as remixes go, this was a good, not attempt, but like for what they had to work with, having to make all these very different video games and their very different musical personalities fit together. I think this was a probably the better choice that they were going to get for this time. And I definitely think it was a lot of fun. It warmed on me as the track went on, but definitely moving from that the and the the those notes at the beginning and just wind into the much more dynamic music with kind of more of a synth brass band feel it was a little much for me to swallow at first. Just curious, Anne, how much of Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link have you actually played? <laughs> I've played a fair bit of it. It sounds like you might not be as familiar with it. Certainly not anymore. I used to play a ton of it, but. That was like a good 20 years ago. Um, most of my Zelda experience in recent years is all the more modern stuff, Wii U and N64 and like Wind Waker and and stuff now now Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I suppose the other reason they might have used something from Zelda 2 is that uh, all the combat in Zelda 2 takes place in, from a side-scrolling view, unlike the original Zelda, which is mm. all overhead and... Uh, most of the other Zeldas uh, that are overhead, or if they're in, if they're not th- full 3D, and Smash Brothers, of course, it is rendered in 3D, but it is more or less a side-scrolling uh, playfield and stuff like that. Um, so you're mostly uh, working with them that way. Maybe they felt it worked better, but like I said, my guess is that they wanted something a little bit faster than the Zelda One dungeon music. Um, and maybe that's why they went with with this as the sort of secondary Zelda theme uh, for Melee. Okay, well now we've picked, uh, or now we've come to the sort of the somewhat unusual part. This is the ineligible Pokemon song. So we, we like I said, we picked some stuff that was. We tried to avoid the super obvious stuff, like aim to be a Pokemon master or the English dub Pokemon theme and stuff like that. But we picked out some other songs we thought might work in the Smash Brothers series. So, Anne, you picked out Always Pokemon, which is a, a song from the Italian dub of the anime. We, we talked about these songs uh, fairly extensively in our European Pokemon music discussion uh, a year or two ago. And uh, how did you arrive at this one as a Smash Brothers song uh, that you would have liked to hear? Well, it was a bit of a journey because my first thought, like it was just such a dilemma because every English song I thought of, I immediately thought, but they couldn't put that in the game because the Japanese release, like, they wouldn't know or care what it was. And I had the same problem thinking of Japanese music uh, to put in because the American market wouldn't care. Um, So I kind of took a third door and started thinking about um, some of the Italian music that we've talked about before. And, like, lately I've been listening to Always Pokemon in my car. And it's... they started using it in the Johto series, and it's definitely a just a bopping sound. Like, I think it would be a fun one to battle to. It's it's so cheerful and energetic, and it's got a melody that drives action and emotion. And, like, every time I'm driving to work with that in my car, I can't help but get a little bit pumped up and excited. And because it is a full song, it has, like, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge... It also allows itself to go in a few different places um, tonally and emotionally. It plays with, s- not speed, but like the pace of the music. Um, 
you know, slows down for a bit, speeds up again. So I think it would kind of fulfill a lot of the same thing that the um, that Jungle Congo or Congo Jungle fulfills for me and that it goes a few different places. It's got some variety to it. You could potentially have this song on loop while you're fighting a battle and have a very good time. Well, a little bit of a different opinion on my end. I don't think it's a, a bad song. I think you uh, had told me that you actually were thinking more of the remix version that would have been using the Italian version of Movie 3 uh, when you were thinking about this one. But I, when I listen to it, I kind of wonder, does this have enough of a, a confrontational tone <laughs> to sort of be used there? And when we get to my thing, uh, you know, not that this is a bad choice or anything. I, I think I'm warming to it a little bit more. But if it does, you know, and not that every song in Smash Brothers is super confrontational with some series, they pick some some really, I guess you could say, interesting stuff. But that was one thing that kind of struck me as um, perhaps a shortcoming of this track. I don't know, Anne. Uh, do you think I'm wrong about that? or I don't think you're wrong. That is a thought I had. I dismissed it because um, I think Pokemon is all about friendly competition and being able to enjoy these battles and tests of skill with your friends. So I think if there was any franchise in this game that could get away with a happy battle song, Pokemon would be it and it maybe wouldn't have to be confrontational. But no, you're definitely right. Like when you're beating up on your college roommate with your Donkey Kong, maybe it's not the vibe you're going for. But for me, I feel this could have worked really well. I can kind of get where you're going there, but I, I think when I was considering <laughs> songs for this, I might have a few honorable mentions that um, I was kind of looking at things that could be confrontational enough that they would, would fit in decently. I mean, there are some definite mm. more positive songs that are used in here, like some of the some of the Earthbound stuff has some definitely, certainly not dark, uh, but... Uh, more more happy stuff and and it still more or less works. I suppose when you as you have a broader and broader palette to choose from, maybe you can get away with more and more stuff. That's true. That that's uh, certainly a possibility, especially as we get to the later games. And at some point, we do plan on covering Brawl, 3DS, and Wii U, and Ultimate uh, when we get to those down the road. So the uh, ineligible song I picked was Lullaby by uh, Ama Amanda Lee Williford. Usually when we bring this song up, it's uh, usually used as a, a punchline to diss the uh, Williford, the bad girl of pop, who is the same person as Manda uh, from the Pokemon, the first movie soundtrack. They are the same person. And the writers certainly know that. They actually list this song on their like their website as one of their major accomplishments, in part since the Pokemon <laughs> first movie soundtrack sold 2 million copies. But <laughs> since Jigglypuff is uh, you know, a playable character in all the Smash Brothers games, I, I think Jigglypuff has, well, it got put in the first one because they had to sort of find characters they could use by tweaking models. And Jigglypuff, not all that different from Kirby. But in case you've forgotten this one, it's not actually in the first movie itself, but it's this song. It starts with a, a sample of uh, Jigglypuff saying some things, and of course it's, it's Jigglypuff, so it just says Jigglypuff this, Jigglypuff that. Um, and it also ends that way with like the Jigglypuff song. But in between, it's this kind of, it's got a bit of a Latin beat uh, in there and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's this, you know, female voice singing about... Uh, wanting to be able to perform and sing and, you know, just because I'm small can't hurt you at all, you know. 
And I, I think this would make, if they were, you know, in Melee, um, and certainly in some of the later games, if they could obviously work out all the contracts and stuff, this would make a good battle theme that would sort of tap into uh, Jigglypuff's history as a character and stuff like that. And sort of to, um, I'll hand this over to Anne in a little moment, but sort of to go the opposite direction from what uh, I said about about uh, Always Pokemon, this seems, it is a very a somewhat danceable Pokemon song, but uh, it seems appropriate for maybe a dance like the tango, which although being a dance between two people and a, a couple usually, it has a bit more of an adversarial tone, and I felt that would work really well for Smash Brothers as as a background music for a stage. Um, you know, if they had had more to work with and had had the sort of initiative. And, you know, the the first movie soundtrack did pretty well uh, in, in North America. It also, you know, was popular enough that they released it in Japan on CD uh, and stuff like that. But, and I just, as usual, I just unloaded a bunch of... Uh, uh, opinions and some information there. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Well, you've kind of brought me around on it because my initial thought is it's not what I would pick for a battle, a smackdown, punchy, punchy type battle, but you bring up some interesting points about Jigglypuff and its strength as a character. And the fact that to use Jigglypuff in a brawl battle, you have to be a little bit crafty. You can't just button mash and and punch your way through it you have to use its all of its skills and use them well so this song which kind of is is all about like the the person who looks weak that you underestimate but is actually quite quite skilled and capable there is something to that and i'd be willing to consider it maybe try playing playing Brawl or, or Super Smash or something sometime with the music off and this song playing and see how I feel about it. Yeah, that kind of goes back to our um, Pokemon Puzzle League episode about splicing in music and seeing what you can do there. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is not yet a Smash Brothers game where you can like get a, get a song off an SD card and play it in there without some more elaborate uh, steps, I guess we could say. Um but yeah, that was one reason I I, I picked this one. I thought it would actually. Um, it also has kind of a constant beat to it, which is also good for not only dancing, but also mm-hmm. uh, I think makes it maybe a little more in the video game wheelhouse. That might be something to consider there. I think some <laughs> of the other ones I consider for this, you know, like I said, we disqualify the obvious stuff like the opening themes and stuff. Obviously, the Pokemon theme, either the TV or the first movie version would probably work pretty well. Uh, maybe, you know, they put the DK rap in Melee, so maybe the Pokey rap could have been a, could have been a thing in there. <laughs> Would have been something. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, I also considered stuff like They Don't Understand from the second movie soundtrack, which I think would have been a, mm. a, a good choice tonally and stuff like that. You know, so that, that might be something in the future. I, I, I kind of wish they would bring in stuff. There's, there's a lot of folks lamenting, like on social media, I've seen that there's no side game Pokemon music in any of the Smash Brothers games, so we don't get stuff from like, uh, I don't know if Snap would be the best choice, but certainly stuff from like Pokemon Conquest would be a lot of fun and stuff like that, and Mystery Dungeon and, Mystery and Dungeon. things if they want to expand it to include the side games. But, you know, and there's all their stuff like this. I'd love to have Fastest Thing Alive from the Sonic Saturday AM uh, show, uh, have that one in there and, and things like that. But, yeah, I, I suppose the obvious uh, choice in the Jigglypuff area, the other one would be Song of Jigglypuff. That one they might actually be able to squeak in, to be honest. 
uh, into Smash Brothers on a technicality since it does borrow from the the original Jigglypuff song, which is in like the original games. But yeah, so Lullaby, I think if it were an option, would be a good choice. <laughs> All right, well that covers just some of the music. Um, like I said, the original Smash Brothers kind of not super deep, but once you get to Melee, things widen out and. Uh, by the time we get to Brawl and some of the later entries, they're going to have a lot to pick from. We'll they'll probably structure these a bit differently. Um, but there's some other uh, audio aspects we should definitely talk about here. One of those is the voice acting. Uh, it's kind of similar between the two games. I guess the ones in uh, Melee are probably higher fidelity. And to be kind of honest, a lot of these characters only got voice acting in sort of the N64 generation. But, Anne, I'll, I'll let you sort of answer this first. What do you think of the overall voice acting, you know, not counting the announcer, we'll get to that in a little bit, but of the of the fighting characters and some of the other stuff in the game? Um, I thought pretty highly of it for the type of game it is. Like, we always joke about Link and his, his way of being so verbose. Um, but, like, Pikachu, I would be surprised if they hadn't had Igwe Otani come in to record specifically for this game because... You, if not, they chose some exceptional edits um, for the the takes on the various attacks Pikachu uses and stuff. I, I definitely feel um, a very connected performance there. Um, I'm not familiar with all the games um, and their acting as much to necessarily be able to comment, but like I feel like like they did a good job for what it is, which is basically these characters just having a good old fun brawl. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with Mario 64, we had Charles Martinet. It wasn't his technically his first time uh, voicing Mario, but his his first really big one that most people know about. Um, and, of course, you know, the Star Fox characters uh, obviously are, are in there. Um, and, you know, Star Fox 64, very quotable game. And, uh, you know, some of the other stuff. I don't think Samus really has any line. Kirby, I think it had something. Uh, I forget exactly what. By then, uh, the time that Smash Ins were, and certainly by the time Melee came out, and uh, a few others, they sort of had to bring in new folks for, like Captain Falcon and and Ness and stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm more or less okay. And of course, all the the Pokemon that come out of the Pokeballs are are voiced for the most part, with a few exceptions. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one, just because they would have had to re-record everybody for the English for for the not Japan release. And that's that's an interesting extra step that I don't know I don't know if it was troublesome for them or not because they would have had to do the same for the announcer. But I think the announcer pretty much speaks in English, at least in the Japanese versions of these games. Oh, as well, I think so. Um, ah, I think the the person they got for that. for N sixty four is definitely worked worked for a Japanese uh, agency, and I guess he still does. But yeah, so I guess moving on to the announcer, who also tends to do an earth, a few other things. Like I think uh, Master Hand is voiced by the announcer in at least some of the games and stuff like that. The little uh, low chuckles or whatever it is, or the screams when you beat it. Uh, but uh, you have two different announcers for these two games. The first one is uh, Jeffrey Manning for the N64 game and Dean Harrington for uh, Melee. And since then, I think from Brawl onwards, they've used... I think pretty much the same guy. Uh, that being said, not to disparage any of their work, it's all pretty good. They are all kind of pulling from the same, you know, 
performance, I'm not sure what you want to call it, but sort of the same playbook as far as how they want to sound and stuff like that. Uh, the super excited announcer uh, and doing countdowns and announcing character names and stuff like that. I think it all works pretty well. Yeah, I don't know how how off that beaten path you can go before you're really taking a risk with something like this. I'm I'm commenting a wrestling match is probably the most safe choice, certainly. Yeah, so like I said, I think they've all pretty much done a, a good job regardless of the entry there, and it definitely pumps you up. It is not necessarily exactly the same as you see in other fighting games like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat that have announcers and, and things like that. They do have a little different spin on each of those. And there's a couple other uh, sound elements. There's also the the crowd chanting when you, uh, if you're at like high damage and get a KO or stuff like that, you usually hear the crowd chanting your character's name um, and, and stuff like that. They do some fun stuff with like, I don't, I don't remember what they do in the later games with the me, but Mr. Game & Watch, they have a, a crowd of sort of buzzing noises or whatever that represent them cheering for, for that, I think, at least in some of the games. <laughs> Um, so they do some really clever stuff with the sound in these games, and it's actually a, a fair bit of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, overall, uh, I guess we should go into some opinions about the the music and sound of the first couple Smash Brothers games. Obviously, the first one, pretty limited in, in terms of its palette. They they got about what they could out, and they do have a sort of overall thing there. And a lot of that, I think, nothing against Hirokazu Ando. You know, if you're the only person who's tapped to work on music for a game, that's what you got to be. And, you know, <laughs> but uh, once you get to Melee, obviously they do pretty good variety. They make it a pretty good effort to try and make things sort of fit together and stuff like that as much as they can, given the widely disparate styles. That That's kind of one of the fun things about video games is that you can go in all sorts of different directions, even within the same game. And I think this is a very good illustration of that. And what are your kind of overall thoughts? I agree. Um, we talk about it now, like they did the best with what they could in some ways. But really, like this was a game that like impressed us all. Like I said, when I was growing up, one person played it and told all their friends and invited all their friends over and they told all their friends. Like it was a game that very much impressed us. And so I think it did what it, could with what it had is like accurate but also maybe doesn't give it enough credit because it really when it did the best it could with what it had that was kind of things that we hadn't seen as often before and the sound was is definitely a part of this game even the n64 but uh, definitely melee where these songs and these themes and these specific mixes of these themes are ones that people are still remembering you know, 10, 15 years later and like takes them back to that moment and the sound effects of the various weapons. Like I still remember that hammer and it's still like, <laughs> it still sends chills down my spine. I know I'm dead when someone pulls out that hammer. So I think they did an exceptional job in that sense of creating something that sonically stayed with a generation. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the music discussion for that, but we have a few more pieces of business to get through. First off, I have some feedback I wanted to go over from uh, other things on my channel. Basically, I've I got a bunch of feedback from a, a YouTube user over the last week or so, and uh, I picked out a couple of them that I wanted to share here and give Anne some time to uh, comment about. So first off, we have 
So back last year, I did a short little video talking about my thoughts on a YouTube documentary. It's on the the YouTube premium uh, platform, a documentary film called The Boy Band Con. And it's uh, effectively it's hosted by um, Lance Bass from NSYNC. And as it turns out, it covers a fair number of Pokemon-related artists from the first couple movies, because I guess uh, the, the con artist uh, mentioned in the title is Lou Pearlman, a uh, person who <laughs> had a very interesting life. He passed away about, I think, like a decade ago or something at this point. I had sort of talked about uh, that and what I had learned, and even though it doesn't mention Pokemon anywhere in the documentary, I think it's something that, that Pokemon music fans, especially of the early days on the dub side, should definitely take a look at. But uh, I got a comment from T-Bone Tony. Uh, apparently he's from Australia, so if he's listening to this, I still only recommend you listen to our If In Excess Did a Pokemon Song episode. <laughs> Uh, but he said, I kind of knew that some of those songs felt a bit off and felt that some of those songs were tacked onto the soundtrack. I'm not sure exactly which ones he's referring to, uh, if it's some of the the InSync song from the first movie, Somewhere, Someday, which I think does have a few lines that tie in decently well, you know, uh, Catch You When You Fall, and there's a reference to Tears That You Cry, and I think A Storm as well. So there's some good stuff in there, even if it isn't, you know, totally locked on to there. And uh, maybe some of the uh, the other stuff from some of the other movies. But he says, uh, To Know the Unknown was such a beautiful song, didn't realize the background to this. So yeah, they talk about Innocence, which was uh, another Lou Pearlman. It was, it was his girl group that he was trying to promote. And to be honest, uh, To Know the Unknown was kind of their last kind of shot there that uh, they put through. And uh, this banded not too long after and stuff like that. But as far as the song itself, you know, it, it's it's not a bad song, Waming. I really do like it. It's just that uh, as far as, like, the two previous movies on the dub side, it has some tough competition with We're a Miracle and The Power of One. So, And any thoughts on this particular comment? Uh, did you ever watch this documentary? Um, no, I didn't. I have watched a lot of other documentaries where uh, Lou Pearlman played significant roles uh, in the music industry. So... I'd like to see it. I, I definitely feel like some of that information, I may have stumbled through other avenues. He, he again, a man with quite the life. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, as far as uh, the first part of this feedback, I agree. And I think we did talk about it some um, when we talked about the music of the first movie is like, there's a lot of songs on that soundtrack where there there's definitely a question of how much of this fits the movie and the vibe and that's why the song was chosen and how much was it chosen just cuz it was popular and they could kind of get the legal rights to put it on the soundtrack there's a few where like um soda pop is one where it's like other than the fact that it's shares a name with an item in the games i'm not sure like so i i definitely get where he's coming from i think definitely each person is going to have a different opinion on which song fits fits their idea of what Pokemon is more. But definitely some of them are more of a stretch than others. But to know the unknown, like I agree as it, it was a beautiful song. I also agree with you that its competition was stiff from the first two movies. But there was definitely a time where that was my jam to know the unknown. It was so beautiful and very comforting to listen to. So... And it is fascinating um, that it has such a place in um, 
pop music of the 90s and the music industry here in America, because that is a fascinating tale and a fascinating shift on its own. So six degrees of separation there. Yeah, as far as the sort of the songs and maybe the first couple soundtracks that maybe don't relate to the movie super well, as far as the first movie goes, I usually just chalk those up as, oh, those are for the short, (laughs) even if they weren't actually in Mm. there. Oh, yeah, party song. Oh, that's kind of what the short is at least ostensibly supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Obviously, things get derailed in there a fair bit. Well, that's sort of where I chalk those up to. Um, I mean, I guess you could say Fly With Me. Maybe that has something to do with some of the flying Pokemon in there, like Dragonite or Charizard or something like that. Or, you know, but when you get to stuff, I, as much as I like musically have some fun with the funk, <laughs> I'll admit it, it's kind of hard to draw any lines to the movie other than it's right. <laughs> being on I the soundtrack. I love that and, song, but... <laughs> And, and and just being a good song, but I just sort of say, well, I guess that's just for, for the short. Even if it's not technically yeah. in there, it's it's supposed to evoke that mood. Um, but yeah, To Know the Unknown, good song. Um, it's just that it has to live up to the first two movies ending theme songs, which are, are, are tough. All right, got another comment. Same guy. This is on, uh, in case you didn't know, on my YouTube channel, I have a couple episodes of the old WTPT podcast. That that was based out of Brooklyn, and I was a guest on a couple episodes. I have uh, those ones on there for Pokemon Christmas Bash, for To Be a Master, and for uh, Pokemon the First Movie, which was one of the last episodes they did. This is from their To Be a Master episode, and uh, another comment from T-Bone uh, Tony. He says his favorite is Misty's song, which is kind of interesting because that's definitely a song that's aimed at the the female demographic. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with you liking it. Uh, I think that's, you know, honestly kind of a stand-up thing for you to do to recognize that even a song that isn't technically for you can still be good. I think that's a, a good thing there. Uh, and then he mentions sort of the Pokemon Live version, which he actually likes somewhat better, um, which is kind of interesting. Um I, I always remember that when we did our live Pokemon music episode, uh, there's a website called Pokemon Crossroads that every week writes up any podcasts that have new episodes. And and he he said, uh, thankfully, it doesn't have anything to do with the Pokemon live stage show, uh, which like, <laughs> you know, it is. I'll admit that a lot of the stuff in there is on the corny side, because I think, honestly, that's kind of how those types of stage shows often come across. But, um, yeah, so any comments there, Anne? I'm not sure I have too much else to say. Um, I I do kind of like the live version, but I think I I pretty much prefer the album version and some of the remixes that were done in Germany and stuff like that. Yeah, well, just that last comment. There was a time in my life where I was trying to figure out how I could audition to play Ash in Pokemon Live. I'm pretty sure the run had ended by that point, but... Um, and, like, there were times when I tried to write a stage show about Pokemon. So, corny, maybe, but also a young girl's dream. So, <laughs> um, but being a theater person, I sometimes do also feel that a live version of a song is, quote-unquote, better sometimes than a recorded version, just because um, the warts and all are what give it character. And, like, definitely in the live version, when she takes a minute to like have a quiet moment away from the big and the corny and the spectacle to just sing about her feelings and to as an actor really have an emotional moment that kind of stuff can really touch people and again it doesn't hit everybody the same way and it may not necessarily 
there are definitely some times where the recorded one is still the one I go to when I want to just listen to the song. But definitely a live recording of a song has its own energy and its own feel to it. And that's why a lot of artists uh, record and release sometimes live versions of their songs for that reason. It's the same song. It might even be the same arrangement, but just that sense of context and of being in a live setting can create a very different feel to the song in a very different moment. Um, I don't know necessarily which part of the live version um, that you're responding to is like the one that you know, s- struck you as better, whether it was the a slightly different um, orchestration or arrangement, or if it was the person's voice itself, or just, again, the feeling they were able to evoke with that voice. But definitely a live version. I, I get what you're saying, like, sometimes can pull a lot from you, even from a stage version that doesn't seem you particularly like. Um, Misty's song, though, is is beloved for a lot of reasons. It's it's a good one. It, and it for a live ver- version of this show, it definitely had its place. Okay, and having gone over those, this is just a little friendly reminder. If you're ever watching this or listening to one of these after it's been done, feel free to give us a comment, either like on a video, or you can always email me at pokepress at gmail.com, and we'll try to work it into a future discussion. We love getting feedback. It gives us yet another perspective on the music we talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, having gotten through that, you're probably wondering, well, gee, what's the next episode? You should be starting Generation 3. I'm sure a lot of folks out there can't even quite remember. What's the first Generation 3 side game? Well, as it turns out, it is Pokemon Pinball, Ruby, and Sapphire. And, of course, this is the follow-up to the Pokemon Pinball uh, from uh, Gen 1, and now it's uh, based on Ruby and Sapphire. Uh, Some of the music in this game, or some of the sound effects at least, are taken straight out of Ruby and Sapphire. I think a lot of the instruments are too. Um, But that's what we're going to be talking about. Now this one, unlike the original pinball, is available on Virtual Console. You will have to have a Wii U to get that. So if you want to try that out, that's how you're going to do that one. Um, And I, I don't know exactly how much experience you have with this particular entry. I've played it a fair bit, including some today, to get these screenshots. Um... But I am looking forward to talking about that. I think this one is going to be mm-hmm. a little different than some of our other discussions um, in deciding you know, how well it works and stuff like that. But that should be coming up hopefully next month. Mm-hmm. Um, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on here. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, well, I guess there are certainly some other aspects of the first couple of Smash Brothers games that I wanted to talk about here. First of all, I alluded to this earlier, but uh, the mechanics, or the goal, I should say, of these games, uh, rather different than other fighting games. Up until this point, the the main thing was, uh, outside of a few maybe like martial arts simulators and stuff like that, the goal was to get rid of all your opponent's stamina and uh, bring that down to zero, and then you win. Uh, this one, you know, you do do damage to your opponents, but your goal is to knock them out or have them not be able to get back on the stage and recover. 
Uh, I think that has always struck me as a little bit different and, and one of the things that makes Smash Brothers at least somewhat unique, even though other games have tried to copy that. What about you, Anne? What do you think about that being a little bit different than other fighting games in terms of the overall goal? Um, well, not having played as many fighting games, I, I didn't realize that that was such a, a rarity until you brought it up. It definitely reminds me of a lot of martial arts tournaments, though, and like sumo and things like that, where the goal, again, is not to necessarily beat your opponent until they can't physically get up anymore, just get them out of the ring or score the one touch on them that counts kind of thing. So in this game where, again, you have to knock your opponent out of the ring or you have to do enough <laughs> enough of the damage so that they are physically thrown from the ring, that, that has a bit more of an Asian uh, martial art sport sentimentality to me, if I'm thinking of it in that sense. I might not be as well versed in different uh, fighting styles and their competition version um, to really talk too much about that. But knowing that it is a little bit different than other fighting games of the day makes me wonder if they weren't kind of digging into more cultural, um, closer to home ideas for how to do the gameplay and how to do the combat and it's something that was maybe a little bit more kid friendly too like knocking them out of the ring doesn't strike parents quite the same way as punching 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 until they fall down so hmm. yeah i'll definitely agree with a lot of that um i mean there is a little bit of stamina stuff notably the the final boss it is kind of interesting. The first thing you see when you boot up Smash Brothers to the N64 is effectively the final boss of the game, uh, Master Hand, the, the giant disembodied hand, does have a stamina uh, thing there, and they've added stamina battles to later entries in the series. But definitely a distinction, especially, you know, early in the 90s, you had sort of Street Fighter II come out, and that was a stamina-based game based, you know, built by a, a Japanese company, Capcom. And that sort of dominated much of the 90s. And then you had this come around uh, that was a little bit different, a little more simple, but potentially still complex enough. Um, so it was different than other stuff. And I think that definitely gave an edge beyond just having a, a roster of Nintendo characters fighting each other. Mm -hmm. um, next thing I kind of want to cover was the scope of the games. The modern games, I mean, the roster, uh, I forget what Smash Ultimate is up to, if it's like 70 characters or something. We've got more <laughs> DLC coming. They just announced Steve from Minecraft. And there's mm -hmm. some other ones as, as well in this second DLC pack. But, man, I mean, the first one, you have, what, 12 playable characters if you unlock everything. And Melee has uh, a respectable 25 playable characters. Uh, but the first game especially, there's not a lot of stages to battle on, not a lot, of, not not as nearly as much variety, but they still pack a decent amount in there. Is that sort of how you see it there? It's certainly gotten bigger with each installment. I definitely see it as getting bigger with each installment. Again, when it came out, like it was the game that was blowing everyone's minds. So I think definitely getting, like, we are privileged to be able to look back at it through this hindsight of now having 50 plus players. Um but yeah, like those those twelve at the beginning were enough for for us, like to impress us. Like the fact that the technology can handle so many more characters to keep it new and exciting is nothing but a gift. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that like they had always had stuff they had to cut uh, with each generation, like like Mewtwo they wanted to put into the original Smash Brothers because that was re- going to be released just a few months after the first movie in Japan and things like that. And like uh, if it was Kojima or someone else from Konami was begging them to put Snake in Melee, but they were just too far along and didn't have the time to toss that in, so it had to wait till Brawl. Um, there's always stuff in... in like, even in the sound department, they've had uh, problems where, like, in the first two Smash Bros. games, Luigi's voice is not a separate part. It's, it's They're both recorded always by Charles Martinet, but he didn't record a separate thing. They just sort of pitched up Mario's voice for the first couple games. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, it's definitely noticeable in, uh, in Melee. I have to go back and listen to that. Yeah. As far as content they added in Melee, they added, I think, a lot more single-player stuff in Melee. In in the original, you just have that one mode and then the training mode and the break the targets and board the platforms and stuff like that. Um, I like the event battles and how those have kind of changed over time, where they have a specific situation you go through. Uh, The current incarnation of that is basically the spirit battles that we have in Ultimate. You definitely have played event battles, I hope, and they were definitely there in Brawl, and I think they had something, I forget exactly what, in Smash Brothers for uh, Wii U and 3DS. I forget exactly what it was, if they had event battles or something different, um, but I don't know, Anne, what are your kind of thoughts there about the, the pre-made scenarios? Um, They are fun. Again, for me, the... The allure of the game was being able to play with your friends. I did play like some of the solo stuff, definitely through the uh, N64, where you try to unlock the characters and follow the adventure. Um, but yeah, like I mean, again, event battles were fun. Um, the idea of progressing a very loose story as a single player was fun, but really we we all bought Brawl when I remember uh, being like, and again, my friends all have Ultimate now because they wanted to invite their friends over and like have a party. So I mean, I am always interested to see what new things come with every game, but to me that that's not their selling point. So... <laughs> I guess I play more single player uh, Smash Brothers than most folks do. Uh, I guess is one way to put that. I've certainly put in a lot of time in the single player in uh, Ultimate on the Switch and really yeah. all the previous entries. I think Melee is maybe the one I've played the most, um, okay. other than Ultimate or maybe 3DS. Um, 3DS, when we get to that, that'll be interesting because it came out in Japan a few weeks before it came out in the U.S. And I uh, had picked up a a Japanese 3DS earlier that year at the Pokemon Center in Japan. So that'll be kind of interesting when we talk about that. Well, we could go on and on and on. But the one thing I wanted to get to, what are some of your favorite characters to play as in the Smash Brothers Ooh. games? Um, Are we only uh, restricting to N64 and Melee? It would be For good now, if you could probably. name at least one from there. That'd be great. Well, no, no. I just, I was just double checking. Like if we were going all the way to, <laughs> like Bayonetta. You, you do have a lot more um, choices now. Yeah. Um, no, Pikachu was always my go-to. Um, I tried Jigglypuff, but was never good. I eventually started really loving Kirby because he could kind of fly. But yeah, Pikachu was usually my go-to. Sometimes Link. Definitely, as we got up to Brawl, though, it was it was Kid Icarus forever. Pit. 
Well, I, I've been mostly a Samus main, although I don't play competitively or anything, yeah. but for playing through like the story modes and stuff like that, I gravitate towards Samus. I did play Mewtwo a lot in Melee, um, especially judging by the trophy count that I have for going through like classic and adventure mode. Got a lot of Mewtwo in there. But Samus is who I use the most. I'm not sure precisely why, if I just sort of gravitated towards her moveset. And stuff like that in the in the games when I play those, that may be the primary reason. Pikachu, I know, in like the original Smash Brothers, is considered a very high tier character along with Kirby. Of course, in Melee, uh, Fox is at the very top, and so is and Falco is like just a little ways behind him. And they, where they, does Ness rank among competitive play? Because I remember him being very difficult to control, but the people who knew how to use him yeah, were a, pretty boss. He's he's very much a risk reward character. Uh, I forget where he is tiering wise in some of the games, and of course you have the, all, the stuff with you know with with Brawl, the, the competitive scene bans Meta Knight because they felt he was too overpowered and didn't have good enough checks. Um, I think with with the fourth generation, the character they felt was overpowered was Bayonetta, and I'm not sure so much with uh, with Ultimate. Uh, I think that's been a little bit closer, especially once they can, you know, now they're more aggressive about patching stuff in. They can they can rebalance stuff um, to either Pretty fix quickly, bugs or stuff yeah. like that. And, and as I mentioned, some of the stuff in Melee is in fact stuff they did not have time to refine. That sort of just kept going on. Mm. Yeah, we, we could talk about just these first two games for quite a bit, but I think putting them into one episode was probably the right thing to do musically. Mm. Um, and any other thoughts you want to put in there? I mean, I could go on and on about all my memories playing this game, but we'll we'll end it there. It was It's so fun, and the music, again, very iconic, brings back all those memories. I, I definitely agree. <laughs> it seems like... To me, like crossovers, they don't work so great in movies and TV, but they they often work in video games. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, but musically, definitely seems like it. Um, there's also, if I remember correctly, as far as Zelda goes, there's a, a, a Kakuri Forest or whatever it is, I think is is in oh, there yeah. as like the tertiary uh, Zelda theme. So a fair bit of Zelda music in in Melee. Um, they had some other ideas, but Jigglypuff was just a little bit easier and. Uh, in some of the later games, I've I've read that it was very near being cut, but they found a, enough time and, and a way to get it in there. And I guess it's supposed to be sort of a joke character. Um, I don't know if it, that's really ever been super competitive, although I've seen some folks use it in ultimate tournaments. 